Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. I am delighted to have you with me again this week. It is amazing that we are already in June of 2021 and it is speeding by quickly. I am excited about today's show because I am at a point in my life where I am embarking once again out into the world on the road into the unknown and the uncertainty of life. Many of you may know that seven years ago I embarked on what I called the Rebel Road where I decided to allow life to lead me, and I watched the synchronicities and the dots unfold as each and every place that I went, I met people and had experiences that connected things one right after the other. I truly believe that everything is connected, and from my own book, Conversations with the Universe, I wanted to prove to myself that the things that I had been writing and saying were true, that the universe actually does speak to us. And it doesn't only speak to us once in a while that the things that we encounter are not coincidence, but that synchronicity is happening all of the time. And that was certainly proven to me in my own journey through the Rebel Road. And I'm certain that I'm not the only one that has these amazing experiences. So today I'm bringing you another person who has had their own experiences Uh, that is going to talk to you about how God whispers to you all of the time. Are you listening and can you hear it? For over 20 years, Stephen Post has spread commitment to the greater good and the science of giving across the globe. He's the best-selling author of Why Good Things Happen to Good People, How to Live a Longer, Happier Life by the Simple Act of Giving the founding director of the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, and the founding director of the Center for Medical Humanities, Compassionate Care, and the Bioethics at Stony Brook University in New York. He's written a book entitled God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. And it is a delightful story about a dream that led him across the country that not only saved his life, but saved another's. And we're going to dive into the beauty of how we are led, how everything is connected, and how life can continually unfold for us in the most magical of ways. Uh, You can find out more about Stephen at stephengpost.com or unlimitedloveinstitute.org. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Stephen to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome. Thank you, Simron. It's nice to hear your voice. It's great to hear yours. I felt like I met a kindred spirit that believed in the magic and the mystery of life and how the dots do connect and how we are led if we'll simply follow that guidance. And so often the thing that we come up against that is the most challenging would be the doubts. And that would be the doubts of other people, the doubts of ourselves, uh, the the illogicalness of of following certain prompts or dreams or things like that. Can you talk a little bit about the doubts that you encountered as you ventured onto uh, following this path, as well as the doubts and obstacles that were projected onto you by others, and how you moved past that to continue moving forward to find God and love on Route 80? 
That is a big question. <laughs> wow, and a complicated one. Whenever anyone talks about connectedness at the deepest level, of course, we're all connected in some sense. We live on the same planet Earth. Uh, we breathe the same air. But at the deepest level, we're usually talking about uh, one mind, uh, as some of the physicists have referred to it. Uh, Larry Dossi wrote a book called One Mind. Uh, uh, Deepak Chopra uh, is a one mind thinker. And basically, the idea there is that there really is a kind of oversoul, that there is an original mind, even an original heart, that underlies and precedes the universe uh, beyond time and place. This is the great classical Ayurvedic tradition. And um, our minds, our hearts, are really gifts. We participate in these larger realities, and that allows us to connect in surprising ways, ways that are very difficult to explain uh, in terms of normal cause and effect, uh, but events where the absolutely perfect person shows up at the perfect time and says the perfect thing. Uh, Carl Jung caused this, called this uh, synchronicity, and he spoke about uncaused causality with a capital U and a capital C. Uh, he certainly believed in it. He was treating a patient one day in his office in, in uh, Europe, and they weren't getting any place. And she said, you know, she'd had a dream the night before of a silver beetle, a very rare silver beetle. And uh, lo and behold, as Jung was listening to her, uh, not terribly hopeful, he heard a little rapping on the window, tap, 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 and there was this, again, incredibly rare silver beetle. And he was able to put it in his hand, and then he moved his hand over to hers. He put the beetle in her hand, and at that point, she was completely open to his uh, conversation because she realized that there was a, uh, an integrating, uh, loving, cherishing force and energy in the universe that could do amazing things like this. It wasn't something that she could explain away. And so uh, dreams, premonitions, uh, uh, powerful intuitions um, can generally be taken seriously. They're not all to be taken with full seriousness. Some of them are less authentic than others, but you have to kind of sort that out. You know, I think that when we look at life, the, the difficulty for many people is to reconcile the tragedy of life uh, alongside with the goodness of life and to understand that all things do really work for good. And I know that you are a huge proponent of the universal law of do unto, the golden rule of do unto others. And you uh, talk about the universal law of the giver's glow. And in this way, we do come across uh, people that need us or people that we need. And it is this continuous infinity that creates that interconnectedness. As people are coming out of the pandemic, as they are, are shedding some of the fears that they have about stepping back out into the world, about where, what kind of world we live in, 
Can you speak to a little bit about what you learned, not only through your experience of the dream and, and meeting the boy and all of that, but what that led to over the course of your life as to how there's one big picture rather than the in, in the smaller moments along the way? Well, there are real hardships in life, and uh, one doesn't want to underestimate uh, that side of experience. But the question is, do we see every obstacle as an opportunity, an opportunity to discover that maybe down the road in some surprising way, there is uh, a wonderful opportunity that we can cultivate, someone we will encounter uh, as if by destiny, um, someplace where we will just find ourselves in this beautiful way, feeling called, destined. Um, so that's really the core of the old Stoic philosophers, that um, that even when it looks like the the ship is sinking, um, you 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 have it within yourself, uh, although you have to work hard at it uh, to maintain this beautiful connection and to transcend everything that you can't control, because what you can control is your your inner connection with this original mind. And you can still act in in love. Um, so for me, yeah, yeah, my life has been based on this since I was a, a, a young kid. Actually, when I was 15, I went to a very snooty uh, prep school in Concord, New Hampshire, called St. Paul's. And uh, the one thing I liked about the place was they had great uh, sacred studies, and we studied world religions even at the age of. 13, 14, and when I was 15, I I had a dream uh, six times over the course of a year, so it was repetitive, and I'd never experienced that previously, and it would be uh, early morning, uh, I would uh, see a road to the west that was covered with a thick mist, so I didn't have much visibility, and um, the... Um, I just got a message. Okay, I'm not sure what that is. Anyway. I'll take care of that. Thank you. Okay, but anyway, so I had this dream of a, a um, of a road, and I, I couldn't see very far. And on 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 the left, uh, in the mist, was the face of a young young guy with uh, um, blonde hair. It was kind of scrawny looking uh, in his in his face, and I um, um, I, I I looked over. And uh, it seemed as though he was about to jump. I don't know exactly what from, but uh, uh, to jump off some kind of a ledge. And then uh, suddenly um, a face appeared. It was a feminine face. And um, uh, this uh, female image said, uh, if you save him, you too shall live. At that point, then, uh, all the mist uh, alighted and it was a, a clear uh, blue path and I knew it was looking to the west so I would talk about this dream uh, with some of my colleagues um, in sacred studies class in fact even went to Yale Dib School one day with my teacher to talk about adolescent spirituality and where dreams fit in because most people as you know you know they'll just completely dismiss the idea that, that a teenager could have a dream that's at all meaningful um, so um, I, I told the people at Yale at, the, at this particular class that that um, for me, you know, we all read Emerson's 
essay on the oversoul up at school, but I think I was the only one who believed it, that somehow we're all part of one overarching mind that uh, is the real uh, underlying essence of the universe. And this is something that I was not entirely convinced on, but mostly convinced on. And I think the dream came along to really make me more serious about it. So when I was 17, I was home for the summer. I was supposed to have a teaching job in the Bronx, but my parents thought it was too dangerous. They put their foot down and and I wound up uh, taking a job I didn't like at all um, in a in a lampshade factory owned by a friend of my dad's, Bill DeBono. And I was cutting cardboard between two very large Italian women. It was a sweaty, hot factory in Patchogue, New York. And I was driving dad's uh, secondhand Mercedes 190, which had seen a lot better days uh, to work and parking it there. And about after two weeks of this with a copy of Siddhartha in my pocket, I went out to West Hampton Beach, uh, where I still, by the way, go for just relaxation occasionally. Uh, on Eastern Long Island, I had some friends out there. About 11 at night, I said, you know, I'm really not interested in working in the lampshade factory anymore. And I think I'm going to follow the dream uh, west. I really don't think I need to go to college. My parents had said they weren't going to cover college because they really didn't want me to teach in the Bronx. Um, so they were they might have covered it anyway. But, but I basically took the car and I drove west on the Sunrise Highway and through Manhattan. And I'd never been on the George Washington Bridge before, but I went over the bridge and I just followed the first sign I saw that said West. And that happened to be Route 90 West. And of course, if you're in downtown San Francisco, there are signs that say Route 80 East because it's a transcontinental highway. And I drove this Mercedes into the wee hours of the morning till about five in the morning. And um, I had maybe $50, so I guess I might have gotten some gas if I needed it. But I was in a bit of a bind. Anyway, I was thinking about turning around and getting home, doing a U-turn over the midway and kind of saving my reputation. Uh, but at that point, uh, the generator broke and cars had generators back then. Um, so all the power was dead. The engine was dead. All the lights were dead. It was a little frightening, actually. And I managed to um, get over onto the right, uh, onto the shoulder. And... Um, there was nothing to be seen for miles and miles except cornfields and, and wheat fields. There were no telephones, nothing. So I did what, what a kid would do. I reached into the glove compartment and I pulled out a white piece of paper and I wrote in pencil to the Pennsylvania State Police, please return this car to Henry A.V. Post. That's my dad. Henry A.V. Post, 44 Davison Lane East, West Islip, New York, uh, 516-669-5655 from his son, Stephen, who no longer works in the lampshade factory. <laughs> and with that, I put my thumb out and a big truck came along and I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but eventually I'm out in San Francisco for the summer playing uh, Granados and Tarega and Villalobos in Hispanic restaurants, living on Chenery Street with my cousin, George Lamont who was a wonderful guy, and he took good care of me, and I joined a, a, um, a Buddhist temple on the corner of Chenery and Market Street. Uh, so we were chanting Nam Yoho Renge Kyo and feeling beyond time and place uh, in that incredible energy of 
group chanting and um, I really loved that experience. So uh, all was well and I wasn't planning to go to college, but I drew a very bad number in the draft lottery. And so I called the people at Reed College. I'd applied to Reed in Portland and I told them that I wasn't going to go months earlier uh, because I was heading to Swarthmore. But now I needed a place to go because I wanted to stay out of Vietnam. So I called them and they said, yeah, we'll make a spot for you. And then one one morning in about the second week, early second week of September, I gathered with George and an old uh, Japanese American mentor named Gus and some friends. And um, they gave me a Gohon zone, which is a scroll. It's actually a Japanese Buddhist scroll. And uh, it's got some symbols on it about uh, one mind, about infinite love, about heart and all of these things that I found very meaningful even at the time. Um, And so I put it in my backpack um, and I said goodbye. I got on the Market Street bus, went to the Golden Gate Park. I did it. You do change buses once and um, walked across the park. And then I got to the to the foot of the bridge, uh, walked over those those big rocks. and, And I walked to the on the left side on the pedestrian uh, walkway all the way to the middle of the bridge. Now, I couldn't see more than about four to five feet in front of me because it was so, so thick with fog. And I got to the middle of the bridge and there, and I heard some scratching noise to my left and I squinted, I looked to my left and I could barely make out the contours of a young guy's face. And he had uh, sort of dirty blonde hair and he looked an awful lot like kid I'd seen in my dream, although I, you know, couldn't swear to it. Um, and then he saw me and he started screaming bloody murder, like I had inva- invaded his privacy. And uh, uh, he, he, he started quoting Macbeth, life is empty nothingness. And and uh, and I, I, if I had said to him, the first thing I said to him was, I surely hope you don't plan to jump. Um, and, and so we carried on this conversation because I told him, look, I, I had a dream and it was two years ago, and it was 3,000 miles away, New Hampshire to San Francisco, and I think you were in it, and let me try to explain this to you. So I told him about the dream, I told him about uh, the lampshade factory, I told him about about the fight with my parents, I told him about the Mercedes 190, uh, and the note to dad, and he looked at me and he said, you know, you're really crazy. And I said, yeah, but you're the one out there on the ledge. You know? <laughs> and and, and uh, so we, we talked and I said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll make you a little deal. I have something in my backpack. And if I give it to you, you will have good luck the rest of your life. Uh, and uh, he, he was incredulous. And so I said, well, wait a minute, let me, let me show you. And I pulled the Gahone the Zone out of my backpack I unscrolled it and I began to explain some of the writing on it a little bit. And he took interest in it. I mean, he was pretty philosophical. I think, I don't know if he was high on drugs or not at the time, but but he took some interest in it. And I said, why don't you come over the over the railing and come over to, to, to me and I will really explain this to you. And I may even give it to you. And so he did. I, he came over and I explained it. And, and I said, I'm going to give this to you, um, but you have to do me a favor, make me a promise that you'll take this note. I wrote a note out to my cousin George. He was a temp- he was a Chapel Hill graduate in Chinese studies who'd done a couple of tours of duty in Vietnam. He was a very thoughtful guy. And um, 
So I said, here's a note to George. George, this is Harry. Please let him sleep on the same part of the living room floor where I was sleeping. Take him to the temple. Um, introduce him to Gus and just look after him and so he can sort of get himself together. And he agreed to do that. So we parted ways and I went north on the bridge toward Oregon. He went south. And as I was walking, just beginning to walk north on the bridge, suddenly all the mist uh, evaporated and it was just an unbelievably radiant blue sky just shining. I mean, if, 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 light, uh, uh, I, I could really describe it. It was almost like uh, an epiphany. And, uh, and it, that really reminded me of the dream. And so I, I, I was now heading up to Oregon. But at that moment, I, I, I never doubted people saying that somehow they have premonitions about uh, loved ones far away or even about strangers far away. This was someone I'd never met in my life. Um, and that's how that's how it began. And the book, you know, God and Love on Route 80 is about 12 episodes of synchronicity um, over the course of a lifetime. And I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a believer that in the net sum of my journey, uh, uh, I've been guided and cherished and um, tried to live up to the idea of if you if you save others, uh, you too will be saved. God in Love on Route 80 is Stephen Post's remarkable true story of faith, love, and fate. Compelled by a persistent and mysterious dream of a blue angel, Stephen leaves behind his family, friends, and routine life in New Hampshire in favor of thumbing a ride across the continent on a spontaneous road trip adventure. His journey culminates in an extraordinary encounter that turns out to be only the beginning of Post's spiritual odyssey. The book is filled with lessons that you can also take in in learning how to follow a dream. The whole point of life is to be a cheerful giver. When we follow the golden rule, we may well be surprised by some beautiful moment of graceful synchronicity that just seems to be a little miracle on Route 80. After all, God is the great cheerful giver, and we are made in that divine image. Help others, and we allow infinite mind to work more freely in our lives. In this sense, we do reap what we sow. Although pure, unmerited grace is also real, because none of us is all that great or deserving. And wherever we have a big decision to make, try to meditate and pray first with an image of Rockwell's golden rule in mind, and be guided by whatever insights flow from it. Hold that image up in your mind, in all of its fine detail, as if before a mirror, as if you are holding it up for God to see. Then trust the infinite mind to let it be, but keep up your part of the bargain. By contributing to the lives of others actively and humbly. This is Lesson 10 in How to Follow a Dream. You can find out more about this precious book, God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness by Stephen Post. Uh, you can go to his websites, stephengpost.com or unlimitedloveinstitute.org to find out more about him and all of the work that he does. We'll be right back after these messages with more of Stephen Post and God and Love on Route 80. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. Before we get to my guest, Stephen Post, I want to mention that the latest issue of 1111 Magazine is up and out. It is always free. The digital edition is available at 1111mag.com. It's an opportunity for me to celebrate and share many of the amazing individuals around the planet that are offering their gift skills and talents as a model for you to go back and empower yourself and offer yours. My guest today is Stephen G. Post. He is the best-selling author of Why Good Things Happen to Good People, How to Live a Longer, Happier, Healthy Life by the Simple Act of Giving. The British Medical Journal uh, designated his book The Moral Challenge of Alzheimer's Disease, a medical classic of the 20th century. He is a among a handful of individuals awarded the Distinguished Service Award by the National Alzheimer's Association. And he founded the Institute of Research on Unlimited Love, which researches and distributes knowledge on kindness, giving, and spirituality. Be grateful that there is a loving, infinite mind who wants to see each of us express the spirit of creative love for which purpose we were created. The key thing is to pray and meditate, to be gratefully one with your peaceful soul and its connectivity with infinite mind. Envision loving goals from this place within and work hard, trusting that there is a power for goodness that is higher than ourselves that will help you along the way so long as you let it. Sometimes it is enough just to remove the obstacles of bitterness and rumination that block the flow of God within us. And by getting these destructive emotions out of the way, we let God do good things through us. This is from the book, God and Love, on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. It is part life story, 
uh, dream interpretation and experience that Stephen has had over the course of his life that has interpreted uh, much of his own choices and life. And within the book, he offers lessons on how to follow the dream and also how to trust that synchronicity is always available to you. Welcome. And what I read was from the book. Uh, Welcome back, Stephen. I'd love to talk a little bit about exactly what that Route 80 philosophy is, uh, if you would touch on that a little bit. And then I know that there's uh, 10 spokes of a wheel on ways of giving and loving that you illustrate within the book, and I'd love to dive a little bit into that as well. Sure. Well, in a spiritual journey, you don't make your life. That's a very arrogant idea that somehow I have the power to make my life. You respond to what you encounter often unexpectedly on the journey, on Route 80. You have to be open to surprises. You're responsible for how you respond to the wonderful people you may encounter. And of course, you have to be discerning. But in general, you're, you're being led into your destiny. And Destiny is a much bigger and more important idea than goals. I have lots of everyday goals. You know, I'm sitting here in this office right now in my medical school, and I've got things to do all day, and I've got various little goals written down in my book. But my destiny is not coming from me. My destiny is there. It's in this infinite mind. And so my job is, even when the difficult moments come, just to realize that 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 Route 80 is there, and, you know, symbolically, uh, eight is the, is the number of new beginnings, by the way. <laughs> so, um, but I Let love me pause today. you right there, Stephen, mm-hmm. because that's a really powerful piece. And one thing that I have learned, particularly since my own embarkment seven years ago onto the road in a similar type of way, is if we simply live the life we are given, then that often leads us to the very thing that our ego is trying to control our way into. Uh, because I think we often interfere in our lives rather than allowing the flow that you're talking about that is that destiny. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so there, there is this destiny. I think everybody has it. Uh, sometimes it's, it's thought of, Simran, in terms of a calling. You know, we're educated to ignore our destiny. We, we go to school and we're, we're taught how to conform, uh, how to fit in. Uh, you know, how to do the job uh, that we are supposedly cut out to do. But that has nothing to do with our destiny. And sometimes I wish that we would just educate people to be open to their destinies and to do what they really feel called to do. And they will be so much happier. They won't feel alienated and lost and empty at some point in their lives. So I really believe in this idea of a, of, of a destiny. And I think everybody without a single exception, has a destiny. I think everybody is a miracle of the universe, a wonder of creation. And if we would just be open uh, to these deeper aspects of life and get away from the, from the fast-paced movement from point A to point B to point C, uh, if we would just meditate deeply, pray. I pr- I've prayed every morning, five o'clock, since I actually had that dream. And I meditate. I'm, you know, this morning I was. I'm up about four o'clock, and my wife doesn't really <laughs> appreciate that all the time. But, but I, I meditate, and I and I think about the people I'm going to see over the course of the day. 
there are some people I, I won't uh, be aware of yet, but I, I, I prime myself to approach the world with love and kindness and a kind of gentle curiosity uh, and an openness and a, and a willingness to discover. And, 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 and that makes all the difference. I still screw up occasionally if, you know, I'm trying to turn left toward the university and, there, and there's a yellow light and some fellow in front of me has stopped and I really am in a rush. I'm still capable of falling full chested on my horn, but I don't yell an expletive, okay? So, so <laughs> you know, yeah. that's powerful in what you're saying, especially at this time in the world and with the way things are opening back up. I think people have a kind of angst and a, a, a yeah. feeling of trepidation and nervousness as they try to get back to what they consider normal. And I don't know that there is anything that's normal. But as we do this, that meditation, that prayer, and then also understanding that we're here to live differently, that new beginning, that perhaps this is Route 80 that we're all embarking on at this moment. Can you speak to a few of the 10 spokes as to the giving and loving that we can all embody as we move on to our new Route 80? Yeah, absolutely. So, so for me, love is, and I, I borrow this definition from a University of Chicago, I'm a Chicago guy, uh, Harry Stack Sullivan, a great psychiatrist, and he said, when the happiness and security of another is as real or meaningful to you as your own, or maybe more so in some cases, then you love that person. No Greek, no, no ancient languages there just common sense you know you know when you stare over that crib you know when you're sitting with an old friend at starbucks with a cup of coffee and they've had a hard time you know uh what that feeling is and so for me um you know during this pandemic so you know 15 months i came into work every single day every day without exception and one of the spokes on the wheel, it's its hard to talk about love itself because it kind of makes people wonder, what are we talking about? Love of chocolate, love of designer jeans, you know. <laughs> they, know the, they know the expressions of love. They know that love takes form in compassion. They know that love takes form in quiet, attentive listening. They know that love can take form in forgiveness, in small helping acts done with kindness and so, you know, I came in here every day and I did a lot of attentive listening, consulting with uh, families uh, who suddenly were confronted with the uh, reality that, you know, the 85-year-old grandma with Parkinson's was in the intensive care unit with this mysterious disease. Uh, she's got dementia secondary to the Parkinson's. And the question is, you know, do they really want to graduate from a non-invasive breathing device, uh, which still allows her to communicate uh, with them via technology, to full intubation. And, you know, a lot of these folks have no idea what's going on up here. They have no granular concept of what's going on. So I just spent a lot of time talking with these adult kids, uh, you know, and uh, helping them to see that maybe the best thing to do with grandma is not to put a tube in every orifice, natural and unnatural, and that she'll be better off maybe uh, if you just um, don't get aggressive. And, you know, everybody was claiming, oh, 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 you know, we've got to have um, 
respirators galore. Well, we had respirators galore, but you know, um, a lot of doctors themselves felt sometimes that it was inappropriate to put these kinds of people on these devices. So I spent a lot of time doing attentive listening, uh, trying to be compassionate, um, trying to be creative. That's another expression of love, creative when it comes to solutions, what might be an alternative, um, uh, and, 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 and also helping, helping them uh, it just in the smallest ways, just saying, wait a minute, you know, we're down here in the lobby. Um, can I make your stay here a little more comfortable? How would you like a cup, of, a cup of tea from the Starbucks that's over there? And I would just go get so small acts of helping are expressions of love. But, but it's all the ways that these things um, unfold in concrete reality. They don't, they don't, you don't use the language of love, but they are love in action. And they're feeling like uh, very much like slowing down, which I think is something that our world, especially the Western world, desperately needs to do is to slow down. And perhaps that's how we, we co-created this whole pandemic situation that has taken place globally. But when you talk about these spokes such as uh, – attentive listening and creativity and respect and carefrontation and forgiveness and those types of things, there's a real level of presence and slowness and seeing and hearing and acknowledging that is taking place with the one in front of you rather than all of the distraction of the world. And that, that is love. That is very powerfully loving. Yeah. And our, our, Nurses and physicians and clinical social workers here all have said that the silver lining, although there are real challenges and not everyone's continuing on with their professional lives, but the silver lining was that they formed community across professions. They took the time. That's what I like to do. I do uh, what I call circles of trust, quoting Parker Palmer, you know, with, with all these folks so that they can process what they've been going through and not just leave it out in the parking lot or, you know, wake up their significant other at night and say, guess what happened to me? But they can bring it into community and form loyalty among one another. Loyalty is another expression of love in, in the book um, and, 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 and create um, a, a more compassionate uh, community, which can then spill over to greater compassionate care toward uh, their patients. And so, you know, this is my day life is it's not the, you know, it's not specifically the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, which still exists beautifully. And we're doing a big conference at Linacre College, Oxford in early December with all the great theologians and philosophers and physicists of love in the UK. But my day job is, you know, I'm a everyday guy and I just love uh, doing consultations in, in these clinical settings because it. Uh, people really need it. They need someone to who, who can slow down with them and can just help them to get to get um, their minds focused. You know, I I think that it's really true that all things work for good, and and so often when something can look negative or look <sighs> bad, it is actually culling something out of us. And perhaps one of the benefits of this period of time is this deepening interconnection, this uh, reconnection to one another and to ourselves that has taken place. And in the book, you talk about the inner road uh, mm -hmm. that has to, to be partaken of. And in a way, that is what has happened 
over the past year and a half, but yet still needs to happen. You also speak of a couple of miracles in the book. Would you talk a little bit about the inward journey and that inner road? And then also talk a little bit about the miracles that took place. Yeah. And by the way, my son is now 26. You know, I, I, I was I was so busy in my career that sometimes I didn't connect fully with him. But over the last 15 months, I think he spent about 10 months actually at home with us uh, mm. in Stony Brook. And my relationship with him now, I've made up for all that lost time. I've mm. made up so much with my relationship and my trust and I've come to admire him and realize his value in ways that really maybe I had just not quite fully appreciated. So I, 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 there's a lot that went on in people's relationships with one another. But the miracles in the book, I mean, look, I, you know, and, and, and turning negatives into positives, which just takes one horizontal line, um, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I was um, well, so many of these things. I did not like leaving Cleveland Heights and Shaker Heights, Ohio, because that's where I'd spent 20 years and taught at Case Medical School for those years and loved the people there. And and yet, you know, there was a kind of a snafu uh, economically and politically with some of the leadership there. And so I was inclined to look around and see if I could uh, get a job uh, elsewhere that would be maybe equally interesting and perhaps require more leadership on my part in the institution. But I was so reluctant and so hurt by some of the things that had gone on, and I won't describe them. Um, and so I'm at the Glidden House Restaurant in University Circle, Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, it's about 11 at night. It's close to midnight, actually. And I'm there with Tom Fruit, one of my oldest friends, a lawyer. Uh, he's now about 80. And uh, um, we're sitting uh, in the Arabica having a cup of coffee. We're out in front of it, actually, on the benches. And uh, along comes an elderly African-American gentleman, very elderly. And he, he was thin. Uh, and he just wandered out uh, uh, between a Glidden House and then uh, a, a restaurant just next to it. And he had a, a beautiful uh, carved walking stick in his hand. And he walked right up to me with some purposefulness. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm here and, and, and I want you to have this stick. And I said, well, thank you very much. He said, I had a dream about this and, and I'm supposed to be here. It was really late at night. And, um, and so I said, well, how much for the stick? I could use a stick. And he said, 40 bucks. So my friend Tom had $40. I didn't that night. It was, <laughs> so I gave him $40. And, um, and, and he said, you know, this stick will... It will guide you. It will it will guide you on your journey, and it will know more than you do about where you're going. And so, we parted. It turned out this fellow. There have been articles about him which I'd never heard of before, uh, uh, in the Plain Dealer, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, about him. He's a really well-known carver of these beautiful, almost magical um, uh, walking sticks. And they had it had bells and all kinds of things. I still have it here in my desk, uh, next to my next to my desk. So I, I, that was a miracle to me. and, and uh, um, the That fact almost sounds like the story came full circle. You gave the gift to the boy on the bridge, mm-hmm. and, and this gentleman gave you the stick. And, it, and it's almost as if both points of that journey, that boy was looking for something, 
and needing something, a direction, and you were as well. It's, it's, yes. it's interesting how the echoes of life take place and bring us back full circle. Yeah, absolutely. And I still sometimes, you know, if I, if I drive out to the Delaware Water Gap to walk on the Appalachian Trail, I bring my, my walking stick and it's so beautiful. It, you know, there's a picture of it in the book, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just incredible. And it was the best 40 bucks I ever spent and I'll keep it all my life and probably give it to my son or my daughter. Uh, but it's my, it's my, it's my destiny stick. And I think sometimes when you have a walk, a, 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 something like that in your hand, a staff, you know, and there's a long mythology and alchemy and, and so forth about a staff. Um, so, you know, you, you, you grip it in your hand and just breathe deep and get your mind off all the things you're thinking about. Just empty your mind and just literally try to follow the stick. And, and believe it or not, you know, you can be surprised. Mm. You know, I think that when we go through an experience the first time, so often it is about the experience and it is about the outer layer of our personality that is forming. And then there comes a point in our life where we get to look back and we are almost like the witness to the experience. And then there's a point where we get the wisdom from the experience. And for me, that happens when I write my books. That's when I really garner what I've learned from that experience. How did writing this book and going back and really revisiting the experience and placing all the pictures, how did that shift, change, or serve you? That's really interesting. You know, uh, I started writing this book actually in the year 2000 because I founded the Institute with uh, the help of Sir John Templeton, who named it, by the way, the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, because he believed in this cosmic energy in a very powerful way. This was the great investor, Templeton, who had this mystical side to him. So we were like, you know, we were great buddies. And um, uh, and I started writing as a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, uh, little vignettes that I called God in Love on Route 80. And then, you know, uh, I, I stopped writing them in about 2006. But some years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I decided, you know, maybe there's something worth pulling together in a book. And, um, and for me to do that, it was a wonderful revisiting of lots of different events and lots of different people. And it's not really a memoir. You, you know, it, it doesn't include a lot of things. It's really um, um, an effort to capture these episodes of synchronicity where I feel like um, this infinite mind, this infinite love, this cherishing reality, um, this basic prime energy of the universe has somehow just flowed into my life and helped me in amazing ways. And so writing the book was um, was healing and, and fun. And, and again, you know, life is not always easy, but, but the main message I got from writing the book was that uh, everything is an expanding campus. Like when I got here at Stony Brook, I was so upset not to be back in my home. I had left my home and all my friends and here I was, and, and, and it was an alien environment. Um, but uh, it's kind of like a Jackson Pollock painting, you know, where Jackson Pollock would throw a, just a whole gob of, of, of dark paint on the ground, 
and it didn't look like anything. It looked like a disaster. But by the time he covered it up and expanded it with all the beautiful lines and the incredible energy and vision of those lines, it became beautiful. So that's our job in life. That's a Route 80 person's job is to take the most difficult situations in life, uh, the most difficult people that you encounter, you know, the really difficult people, uh, you know, and you have to you have to approach it all with love and confidence and you have to expand the campus and it will be something beautiful, so beautiful that hopefully uh, it'll be in the Museum of Modern Art. So that's what I call expanding the campus. You know, I think that the book and the story is really beautiful in how one can connect the dots, connect people, connect the synchronicities. But there's also a subtlety to this book, and it is in the modeling of how we can go back and write our story. And and you do that so beautifully because it is this mix of your story and your life, and yet there are these pieces that are the lessons that are the wisdom that is called from it. And then along the way, you have all of these different quotes from different people uh, throughout the book that pertain to the sections that are there. And so it, I really feel like anyone reading the book, it's almost a guide and an invitation to discover your own stories, your own canvas, your own wisdom that you have called from your life. So I really appreciate that part. And I don't know if you realize it came across that way, Stephen. Well, that's nice to hear. You know, I, I, I hope so. I, 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 you know, I have a favorite quote, uh, uh, and it's from Eleanor Roosevelt, for anyone who remembers Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Um, mm. and, and, and I think everybody at some level, if they dig deep, uh, if they really meditate hard and really focus on it, they can find their destiny and when you find your destiny and you find your dream even if it's a little little different than anybody ever expected and seems a little crazy and if you're I mean believe me my dad was not happy with me for leaving that car on Route 80 in front of the Pittsburgh <laughs> exit I mean I never lived it down with him actually well thank but, you so much for being on 1111 talk radio it takes just one line to turn a negative into a positive on Route 80, life is always an expanding canvas, and what looks bleak can be transformed into something luminous with prayer and help from the infinite mind. Potholes are just part of the highway. The boy was smiling because the miracles in his life just kept coming, and they can come for all of us, but we have to open our eyes. We don't need flashing lights and big revelations. We just need to awaken to our interconnectedness and oneness with the infinite mind that dwells in each one of us and always has. You can find out more about God and Love on Route 80 if you go to Stephen's website, stephengpost.com. You can also find out more at unlimitedloveinstitute.org. Again, that's stephengpost.com. Until next week, I am Simran, in love of love with love and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Zimron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.